Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, Greeny, we roll along on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're live, as always, above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17. The assembled members of the hashtag crew have assembled around us. We've had a lot working today coming off of what was an incredibly interesting um, NFL Sunday, and we will spend most of the time here on that. There are some other things that happened this weekend that I want to get into. I want to get into the Otani thing a little bit, maybe a moment or two on um, on the in-season tournament and LeBron and his son and all of that. I want to try and get to some of that stuff as well. We just spent the last 10, 15 minutes talking about the call in the Kansas City game that um, negates what would have been one of the most memorable plays, certainly in recent NFL memory, and the sum total of it is, if you were just joining us, because I'm sure a lot of people are tuning in wanting to hear what we say about that, where we ultimately got after 10 minutes of talking about it is that the officials have to make the call. They just have to. And then at the end of the day, you have to blame Tony and no one but Tony. I'm willing to give Patrick Mahomes the benefit of the doubt, not the benefit, a pass on his criticism of the officials afterwards, because I just understand him being so incredibly frustrated And having been a reporter for a long time, I see what it's like. You go down there, you've just played this game that is so emotional and matters so much to you, and you're so upset and frustrated at the end. And and it's literally five minutes later that you're standing there in front of the reporters, and that is the reason that they do it that way, because they want that emotion captured. But in that moment, I'm sure I would have said any number of things over the course of You know, my life as a fan, if you put a microphone in front of me within five minutes of a terrible Jets loss, I would have said way worse things than Patrick Mahomes said yesterday. So I don't blame him for his frustration or anything like that. But at the end of the day, he's wrong. At the end of the day, that's a call that has to be made. We cannot have officials deciding which penalties they are and aren't going to call based on the situation. It's just the slope is too slippery. Not just because of gambling implications, not just be, just because we just can't have it. That's a judgment an official should not be asked to make. So why you may be inclined to look at that and say that has nothing to do with how the play turns out. You're right, but a lot of penalties have nothing to do with how the play turns out. If you commit the foul and it's obvious, and this one is, you can't complain that it gets called. A ticky-tack thing, something that was that that was questionable, something you'd have to replay to decide, that I could see being upset about. Let it go. But that one, that was too blatant. He's so far offside. And Ryan Clark said he's basically lined up at linebacker on that play for the Bills. So that was our take on that. You cannot blame the officials. We open the show today with the Cowboys making their statement. Let me give you a couple of quick numbers coming off that Dallas win. Dak Prescott is now the favorite on ESPN Bet to win the MVP award. He is plus 160. The Cowboys are the fourth team in the Super Bowl era to win at least eight games by 20 or more points in a season. When that stuff is it, that stuff is a huge indicator of how good a team really is. And Romo and Nance were making that point relative to Buffalo yesterday that they're plus-minus, I believe, going into the day yesterday, the Bills had the fifth-best plus-minus, if you will, of any team in the league, the, the fifth-best scoring margin of any team in the league, and they were 6-6. Six and six. It's almost impossible to do. The Cowboys, I have to believe, have the best plus-minus of any team in the NFL, considering they've won eight of their games by at least 20 points. 
Do they? Yeah, I'll pull up the list here. So we have the uh, Cowboys first at 14.5. Then the Niners are second at 13.5. And then the Ravens are third at 11 per game. So is, those are the top three. Is that just in their wins or is that their total? That's total. For the course of the season. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in every game, if you average out all their games this year, the Cowboys have outscored their opposition by 14.5 yep. points The average per score, 32-18. to 18. They're right. just destroying people. And, and, and where is Buffalo? Just out Buffalo of my, is fifth now. That's my, yeah, so they were fifth at going seven in. seven and six. Yeah, that's my point. I mean, it's just incredible. It's impossible. Possible to believe. So give me again. It's Dallas, then San Francisco, then who? Then Baltimore, then Miami, then Buffalo. Okay, yeah. So, and, and what do those teams not have in common? By the way, the 10-3 uh, and three Eagles are 11th in that stat. Right. Again, so they've been hanging on, winning these games by the skin of their teeth, and now it catches up to them. The Cowboys are also averaging essentially 40 points a game at home. It's 39.9. That's the third most in a single season in the Super Bowl era. They're also winning at home by an average of 24.5 points per game. So if the Cowboys should get home field advantage this year in the playoffs, it will feel very meaningful. Again, I think the 49ers are going to wind up getting it. The Cowboys have a very tough schedule the rest of the way out. The Eagles do not. The Niners do not. There's a lot left to do. But that was a big win for Dallas yesterday. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio next. I'm ready to go right now. Green light, green light with Greeny. Green Normally, we would not do much baseball on an NFL Monday. Normally, we would not react much to something that happened three days ago on an NFL Monday. But normally, we don't have a player signing a $700 million contract. Friday was the day that will always be remembered for the erroneous reporting on the part. What is his name? Uh, uh, John Morosi. John Morosi. MLB who, Network. Who, who had that story wrong. And I, I saw his mea culpa on Twitter. I mean, it's a, you know, a terrible situation for him, obviously. And I know the fans are upset about it. And I get it. Like, that's, that, that's a terrible deal. But one way or another... The story all day long was, is he going to Toronto? Is he going to Toronto? Is he going to Toronto? No, he's not. He's going to the Dodgers. Oh, my God, it's the Dodgers. Oh, my God, it's the Dodgers. It's what? It's $700 million? We knew it would start with a five. We thought maybe in our wildest dreams it would start with a six. He got $700 million in one contract. And he's not even going to live. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> because if you don't know what I mean by that. <laughs> sorry. Well said. <laughs> he's not going to die. Uh, he's not going to play live golf. He's not Phil Mickelson or John Rahm. He's staying in the same sport that everybody else plays. Under the same rules everyone else plays under. And he got a $700 million contract. Hembo, how should people react to that? Um, with incredulity. Uh, $700 million is an obscene amount of money, Greeny. Um, but Shohei Otani will be worth every penny of that contract. Candidly, he might already be. Because Shohei Otani is not only the most talented baseball player that ever lived, but he is well on his way to surpassing Lionel Messi as the most popular athlete on the planet. And players like that, guys like that, don't reach free agency. And when they do, teams as smart and as rich as the Dodgers save up all their cash for them, and they blew it. Candidly, I think it's great for baseball. It's going to obviously sort of make it more pronounced, the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in the sport. But to see Shohei Otani wear that Dodger blue is going to be a great thing for baseball. And thank God 
that he's out of Anaheim because that was the worst thing that baseball could have possibly imagined. So when you put him on a team with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, it is going to make them the uh, put them at the very top of the food chain. And I, for one, am here for it. So I have a variety of questions about this. I want to preface them by saying I love Shohei Otani. I love what he has done for the sport. I have witnessed with my own eyes, because my wife and I traveled to Japan this past summer, the, the magnitude of his fame and popularity in that country. And obviously he is that, uh, be, that, that, that big a deal here. As, so I agree with every word you're saying. And thus I understand the contract because the financial ramifications of it will be overwhelming. He is that very, very rare baseball player that might actually make his team more money than he gets paid. There's no way in the world Mike Trout makes the Angels $400 million over the course of his deal. There's just no way. You can't sell that many tickets. It has to go way beyond that. It has to go into other areas, other streams of revenue that Mike Trout definitively does not create. In fact, that Shohei Otani may be the only baseball player alive who does. So I have zero questions about this deal from a business standpoint. From a baseball standpoint, do you believe with certainty that he is going to be a dominant pitcher again over at least half the life of this contract? On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say my certainty would be at a 7. And I'll tell you why I feel better about it than you. Because the guy that just did his surgery, Neil Elitrash, is the Dodgers doctor. And the Dodgers have been collecting their Shohei Otani intel for years. And there is no way that they'd be paying him $700 million if they merely thought that Shohei Otani was going to return to be the pitcher that he was over the past few years. I'm willing to bet you that they believe that Otani is going to return to form there. He might not provide the volume of innings that he used to, but I can assure you that come October of 2025, he's going to be starting the first playoff game uh, for the Dodgers, and I don't think they would have come to this agreement if they didn't have the green light from that doctor. See, I don't know that. Because of all the things that we talked about to start this conversation, which is that he's going to pay for himself anyway. So the Dodgers are owned by a guy named Mark Walter. I know who Mark Walter is. I've met him a time or two, and I know him. Um, I know his story because he's a Northwestern guy. And so he is one of the, uh, the, the most um, generous donors to North. Excuse me, I'm a sneeze. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> sorry. What was his name again? I'm sorry. His name is Mark Walter. He, and he is one of the most um, one of the most significant donors at Northwestern University. If, if you go to the the brand new football building that we built, that was mm-hmm. like the talk of the entire. It's called the Walter Athletic Center. Got it. So 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 he's that guy, right? He's a billionaire. He owns the Dodgers, and he he, he runs a company called Guggenheim, which is a, so he's a, oh, a sure he's a finance guy par excellence. So he's a business guy. He is about business, and Mark well, and he is an unbelievably smart man. And so Mark Walter is making that deal because you and I both know that the Dodgers now own the baseball mad nation of Japan. Japan, baseball is the second most popular sport in America at best. It is by far the most popular sport in Japan. There are a lot of freaking people there and they have a lot of money. And they're all going to buy Dodger jerseys and Dodger hats and watch Dodger games. And the, so Mark Walter is looking at that and saying what we just said. I, he is worth $700 million whether he pitches or not. So I understand the deal from that standpoint. 
I don't think he has to pitch to be as relevant as he is financially. But what made him the star he is in this country is that he is the first player literally since Babe Ruth to be a dominant pitcher and hitter. So the person who runs the Dodgers, from a baseball standpoint, is named Andrew Friedman. And Andrew Friedman... um, came up in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, Mm -hmm. which means he is as shrewd a baseball mind as you will find. He is widely considered the brightest bulb in the sport. I know, yep. There is no chance that he would have signed off on the baseball side of things if he did not strongly believe that Shohei Otani would be willing to do both. I mean, we have... Not willing, able. I'm not talking about willing to do both. I'm talking about able Able's the right both. word. Willing is Isn't not. he having a second elbow? Oh, he just had yes. a second procedure on his pitching elbow. Yes, a, self- a second elbow reconstruction. Not a Tommy John, but a second surgery. We don't know that Otani's going to be great, but what we know is that he's the most talented baseball player that has ever lived. Right. And if Shohei Otani does not throw one pitch... For the Dodgers, we know for sure he's going to be one of the game's best hitters. He can easily play gold glove first base or outfield because he is remarkably athletic. And if he decides to, to devote all of his time and resources to just being a position player, he's going to rake for, for the majority of this contract. Like, that's the thing about Otani. Like, we, we should stop viewing him and comparing him to other mega contracts in baseball, some of which uh, have failed. Otani is different. He is the unicorn. He is the ultimate exception. His talent knows no bounds. Nothing would surprise me. That, uh, there's nothing that Otani could do over the next 10 years that would truly surprise me. He is a truly generational, like once in a century, like sent from the heavens type talent, and the Dodgers recognized this opportunity and pounced on it. Oh, by, by the, the way, way. Greeny, did, yeah. did you hear this cut from Hembo back in January? Hembo back in January? I mean, I don't like to give Hembo credit. I mean, no, I'm, you don't. I'm the last person to have to give him credit. All right, but let's hear it. So, so, this so. is Hembo in January on Baseball Tonight Podcast, and I think for once we're going to have to give Hembo credit. What Fangraph says is that the performance over the last two years equals $140 million in total, 70 per year. So if we're going to say 10 for 500 is, is our guess from now, what the numbers say is that that is way short of the mark that he is performing on the field, and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the value you are getting with all of the marketing stuff and the global appeal and everything else. I don't think that number's starting with a five buster, and I'm not sure it's starting with a six either. Wow. Pretty you good. All this. Pretty good. Hamba, ham, ham, hamba, what is Nostradamus? Hambadamus. Here's the thing. Like what, what the numbers say is that Otani on the field is literally worth $70 million a year. Look, his agent has access to the same numbers that I do, so I suppose it should come as no surprise, but just seeing the number $700 million is just so incredibly jarring. But we've also seen some modeling that say the Dodgers are going to make like $40 million a year just in merchandise and things like that from, from, having, from just having his name, image, and likeness in a Dodger uniform. All right, we're getting back to football here in a minute, but I'm going to create my own trivia question. <laughs> We'll do his trivia a little okay. later, but I see something on my screen, and I want to know the answer to it. I will tell you in advance I don't, but we will by the time we come back from this break. So Shohei Otani and Mike Trout played together, and they are one of 69 pairs of MVP teammates in history to play at least 400 games together. Of those 69 pairs, they have the third worst record together of any of those duos who were worse which two pairs of mvp teammates had worse records together than otani and trout 
I'm dying to know, and we'll find out next on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. The assembled members of the hashtag crew assembled around us. Back to the football right after we try and answer the question. This is not sneaky hembo. This is just a stat that was put on my screen here, and I found myself interested in the answer, and I thought you would be too as you listen. So Shohei Otani and Mike Trout played together for multiple years, and they both won MVP awards. Out of all the pairs of MVP teammates in history, of which there have been 69 such pairs in baseball history that played at least 400 games together, they have the third worst record of any of those duos. So Bubba... And Cam and I have spent this break trying to figure out who the other pairings could be. So I'll give you the one that I came up with. So I remember when Andre Dawson won MVP playing for a last place team in Chicago. There's no question he was a teammate of Ryan Sandberg, who also at one point won an MVP. I want to say that for the majority of the time those guys were together, those teams were pretty bad. Now they had a good year, the Cubs made the playoffs, I think it was 89. I'm not sure if Dawson was on that team yet. One way or another, what I'm trying to say is, guys, unless you have some objection, I'm going to guess that one. No, that's good. All right, we're going to go with Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg Hembo. That is incorrect. Oh, damn. Oh. I really like your, uh, your logic on. trail, but it is not correct. All right. 
You guys have a guess for the 2010s, by chance. Yeah, Hembo told us that one of them was the 80s and one of them was the 2010s. Yes, that was the only hint that I provided. We don't don't have anything better than that. The only thing I was thinking was Stanton won with the Marlins, Yelich won with the Brewers, and then there's Ryan Braun, who was also on the Brewers. But does it count if Yelich won it on the Brewers, but he was on the Marlins with Stanton? Like, does that count? Because that would be my only other thought. That's correct. Let's go! Giancarlo Stanton and Christian Yelich own the second worst record awesome. of such teammates. You're welcome. The other pair from the 80s, the Baltimore Orioles. I'm sure you can get one of the guys. Eddie Murray? No, the obvious one is oh, not. Cal Ripken? But it's not Eddie Murray. It's someone who is much better remembered as playing for the Boston Red Sox, whose soiree in Baltimore I had almost completely forgotten. Fred, Fred Lynn? Lynn. Fred Lynn? I have no recollection... As you, for some reason, the words Fred Lynn came out of my mouth as you were saying that. I have no recollection of him playing in Baltimore. For four years, he and Cal Ripken Jr. played together, just not successfully. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Okay, good little trivia question there. We will have Hembo's regular um, trivia answer. By the way, in the world in which we live, here's where this thing does take a really dark turn. You know, reporters... All of them, and at one point in my life, I was one, and and even to this day, every now and again, you know, you try and report a story, you break a story, whatever the case may be. Like, that's a dangerous game. It's hard to do. The best ones, you know, the ones that you know, Woj and Shefty in particular, are guys I know very well, and I have been around them to watch the way they work and how incredibly careful they are about what they do. And so I've never met John Morosi in my life, and I, I thought it was he did the right thing by just owning up to it afterwards. He got the story wrong. There's nothing else you can do after that except apologize. But the ramifications of it had not really – it didn't dawn on me until I'm reading this off of this note that is in my sheet here. The betting ramifications, because of the, as it proved to be, incorrect reporting that Otani was on a private jet to Toronto – Betters at sportsbooks in both the U.S. and Canada were rushing to bet on the Blue Jays to win the World Series. Their odds went from 15 to 1 to 8 to 1 as money was pouring in on them. At BetMGM Sportsbooks, nearly 85% of the money wagered on the World Series odds on Friday was on Toronto. So that's, that's just awful. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. That is just really awful. Um, and I don't... I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't have a further comment on it than just to say how <laughs> awful that obviously is, and the ramifications of it are significant. Again, when you're the reporter and you get something that wrong, it is hideously embarrassing. He did the right thing. I saw his apology. I thought it was heartfelt. He said, I, I, "You deserve better." Something like that to his viewers and his followers and all of those. I mean, that when you get it wrong, I guess that's all you can do. But boy, what a ma- I hadn't thought of the gambling ramifications until just now. This was an absolute circus. If you were actually following it closely I on was. social media. I was media, following it all day. I was like, oh my God, Otani is going to go to Toronto? I was shocked. And, and then the guy from Shark Tank walks off the private jet. Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, if this was actually like an elaborate ruse by Shohei Otani and CAA to get himself $700 million, then wow, that is some creative stuff. To identify the reporter, to have the, the, the flight tracker, like the whole bit. It was quite something to follow in real time i do feel badly for blue jays fans all right greeting with you here on espn radio we're presented by progressive insurance let's do one question i have only one question so every week dan graziano puts up on espn.com these interesting overreactions and i will turn them into the form of questions and we will all answer them here the assembled members of the hashtag crew and the first one is this i have only one question 
Will the Bills be the most dangerous team in the AFC playoff field? Yes or no, Bubba? No, I don't think they're most dangerous. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to say, I think, you know, the Ravens, I'd say more dangerous. I think Dolphins are more dangerous. Uh, no, uh, Josh Allen, I don't, I don't have faith in him yet. See, it's just interesting the way the question is phrased. The, 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 the overreaction, if you will, is the Bills will be the most dangerous team in the AFC playoff field. What I haven't seen is the end of that sentence, which is, meaning, are we just talking about all the teams that might or might not get in? Because if you're looking at all the teams that might or might not get in, the answer is definitely yes. I'm, I would be much, much, much more scared if I'm one of the you know, top seeds of playing Buffalo than I would be Indianapolis or uh, Cincinnati or Cleveland or Pittsburgh or anyone sure. else that might be in that mix. If we're putting the, if we're just saying they are, if we're substituting most dangerous for the team you would pick to come out of the AFC, then I would definitely. Let me ask not. you a question. Yeah. All right. Let's say right now we're lining up the number two seed Baltimore Ravens at home against the Buffalo Bills in the two seven matchup in the first round. What is that line if you are so, making? It? I, to me, it's a toss up. The, the the line is the the Ravens will be favored at home, and I assume the Ravens would be favored by. Two and a half to three and a half points. So yesterday, Buffalo, I think, closed as a one or a, a one and a half point dog in Kansas City. Right. I think we're looking at a pretty similar number. Like Buffalo is definitely like the the team you don't want to play. Like most definitely, like they fit that profile perfectly. Do they not? I mean, I mean, I don't know about the team you, know. you don't want to play if you're one of the big seeds. Yes, that's what I mean. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with For that. Sure. But if you're Baltimore, would you rather play them or would you rather play? Uh, Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather play Kansas City right now. Like, I think I would too. You, I think you might see a team tank the two seed so they can avoid Buffalo. Now, the one thing I'll say about Buffalo, I don't trust their defense in a big spot. Like they, they give up points in the fourth quarter by the bushel. Yeah, they're great at that. And 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 so I don't. I trust uh, Allen like crazy, but I don't trust the rest of them. I have only one question. Next, will the NFC playoff field have multiple teams with losing records? Cam. Uh, I say no. I think the Packers are going to get uh, a winning record. They'll probably get in. I think Vikings will probably have the winning record. I do think the NFC South winner will have a losing record. But I think enough of these teams might be like 9-8, and 10-7, and seven and, and push that over the top. But I do think it is very top-heavy in the NFC, whereas the AFC is more of just a muddled mess. Right. So Dallas and Philly are, are obviously both getting into the playoffs and will obviously both have winning records. So you have room then for A – the champion of the NFC South, B, one or two other wild cards. Do, do we think any of the wild cards will wind up with an under 500 record, Hembo? I don't think so. But right now we have six six-win teams in the NFC. This is going to be like the most outrageous tiebreaker year we've ever had. Look out for the Rams, too. I think the Rams are good. They're good, too. They're, they're the they're team good. I wrote down. They could have um, won yesterday, for sure. They're the Bills of the NFC for me. Seattle, all those teams in the South. Minnesota, Green Bay, do those teams wind up with winning records? It, it certainly could happen. We could have multiple teams get into the NFC playoff field. That's Greeny with one question. I have only one question. Will Justin Fields be a starting quarterback for someone week one of 2024? Hembo. Yes, he will be. I think it will be the Atlanta Falcons or the New England Patriots or someone other than the Chicago Bears, even though we have made our point here that the Chicago Bears uh, betting on him and having the courage to trade the number one pick again might be the best path 
forward. Truthfully, Justin Fields has not played good lately. He's played great and improved considerably in ways that matter. I'd be willing to trade a late first round pick, maybe an early second round pick and take a year or two of Justin Fields because I think he is a good coach and a good infrastructure away from being a Pro Bowl quarterback. So let me ask you this. If you're Bill Belichick, because Rex brought that up today, that he thinks the Patriots will trade for him. First and foremost, I think the world has essentially decided Belichick isn't coming back to New England. So that would be an interesting, then who knows? Because, I mean, to some degree, all bets are off because who's the next coach going to be? Is it going to be Mike Vrabel? Is it going to be, who's the linebacker? Who's Gerard, there Mayo. Gerard Mayo. Um, you know, who's, who's the next coach going to be? Let's live in a world where it is Belichick. I don't think Belichick, I like this move for Belichick is, is, is a more direct way of saying it. If you're Belichick, do you want to start over with a rookie quarterback? Or do you want to start with a quarterback who's already shown you he can play and trade what might be the third or fourth pick in the draft, which could be Drake May or one of these other quarterbacks, and get maybe not the King's Ransom we're talking about at number one, but get multiple picks. There's nothing Bill Belichick likes more than multiple <laughs> picks, a bunch of really good young players on, on rookie contracts. You could remake that team pretty quickly with Justin Fields and a bunch of good picks. Their defense is already good. I think if... Uh, Marvin Harrison decides to enter the draft, you could definitely talk yourself into trading for Justin Fields and drafting Marvin Harrison. Like, that might wind up being... Where will he get picked, though, is the thing. He's going third. Either he's going back to school or he's going to be the third pick. That kind of might be the best receiver to come out of the draft in years. Right. So he would go third. So are the Patriots going to get the third pick? Right now, the Patriots are scheduled to have the second pick after Chicago. Arizona right now is, is scheduled to have the third pick. (laughs) <laughs> things, things have broken New England's way despite, despite winning on Thursday. I don't think you can pass on a quarterback with a top two pick, although it wouldn't stun me if Bill wants to go that route. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what Justin Fields would look like, although, I mean, look, the infrastructure there isn't all that good either right now. Uh, and then the final question. I have only one question. Ask this to the two Eagles fans here. The, the way that it is phrased by Graziano is, is it an overreaction to say the Eagles just aren't good enough to get back to the Super Bowl this season. Cam, are they? They are, but obviously not with the way they're playing the last two weeks and candidly not the way that they've been playing most of the season. We keep saying we haven't seen the Eagles' best football yet. Now I might think we have, and it's just not quite there. But I do think this team has all the capabilities, all on paper, should be good enough to get to the Super Bowl and should be good enough to beat anyone in the NFC playoffs. But Every little thing that has turned into a big thing now is catching up to them all at the same time. They can't tackle. Their secondary is a mess. The play calling is still somewhat questionable. And they're turning the ball over like crazy now. So anything like this, no, this team can't beat anyone, honestly, in the playoffs. This but is still a three-horse race. When they're at their best. This is should. still a three-horse race, Cam. Like, yeah. I think the Eagles' defense is the worst of the six units between the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. It's the worst. It's probably the worst by a long shot. But they just finished up like the most difficult six-week stretch imaginable that any team has had in recent memory and they came out of it not looking so bad I mean if you had told me before the season you'd be 10 and 3 you'd be positioned to win the NFC East coming out of this now you don't love the fact that the two teams you lost to you lost to I think I'd feel better if we had lost to Kansas City and Buffalo and beaten Dallas and San Francisco obviously but either way I'm most definitely not counting the Eagles out they still have a real chance to get the one seed have the track record and the quarterback to pull it off all right so those are some of the questions that people around the sport and sports will be asking and then we'll go forward with that there's one more thing I really want to get to I I, I think this is important I need you to listen carefully I just want you to know um, LeBron James is not someone I know well I have I have met him I've 
been around him a little. I've interviewed him. I've always found him to be very pleasant, but but I I cannot speak of him as though we are friends or anything like that. But he's been so famous for so long that I think all of us feel as though we know him on some level. And because he lives and plays in the era in which he does, he has been, and we have described him as such, including in our book, I think the most scrutinized and at times unfairly criticized immortal in sports history. There's never been a player of his magnitude who has received as much nitpicking criticism as he has over the course of his career. And I feel like mentioning that because I felt almost choked up for someone I I've, I don't know watching him yesterday. Because if there's one thing that I've learned over the course of my life being around very, very, very famous, very, very, very successful, and very, very, very rich people, and being on a much, much, much smaller level myself, a little bit famous and a little bit successful and a little bit wealthy, what I can tell you is that there are some things in life that doesn't change. Yes, it makes most or many things in life much, much better, much, much easier, and wonderful. I'm not in any way making that, um, I'm not suggesting that's not true. But what I am saying is, if something's wrong with your kid, like that's the scariest thing that I can ever imagine happening. I thank God I've never lived through that. Neither of my kids have ever been sick or ill or anything in any kind of way that genuinely scared me. They've had their share of stuff like everyone else does. But there's never been a moment where I've been genuinely afraid for something like that. And so when you're LeBron James, it don't make a damn bit of difference if you are the greatest basketball player that ever lived or how rich you are or how famous you are, how powerful you are. When something is really, really wrong with your kid, that is the scariest, loneliest place in the entire world. And you know what they went through with their son, Bronny. And so for him to come back and play in a game yesterday, and they wound up, I think, losing the game. That didn't make a damn bit of difference. And he had a chase down block and made a three. And none of that matters either. Just seeing LeBron and his whole family walk in there, holding hands and watching their kid play, it genuinely choked me up. It choked me up as a dad. You'll know this someday, Hembo, and, and any, any of us who are parents, I think, know this. Like, that's the scariest thing I can ever imagine. Like, to get a phone call, I don't even want to read, I don't want to go through it. We all know what happened with Bronny. To get a phone call like that and, and to have to live through whatever uncertainty they had to live through for however long they did and all the rest of that, like, That is a position I literally thank God I've never been in and I hope I never am. And all parents do hope that. Um, So I just wanted to say that yesterday, you know, like the, the, in that moment, like he was just a dad, like he's just a dad going to see his kid play basketball, um, having lived through about the scariest thing you can live through. So I don't know. I felt like saying that out loud. Um, Sometimes I think we've, we lose sight of the humanity of these people because they're so famous and they're so successful and they're so powerful. But at the end of the day, um, it, it, success, wealth, and fame don't change everything. They change a lot of things, but they didn't change that. And I just wanted to say that out loud. 
Okay, let's do uh, Hembo's trivia question today. Let's go. Yeah, since the 1970 merger, uh, Tom Landry is the winningest coach in the NFC. But, of course, everyone knows that. My question for you guys is who ranks second? Since the 1970 merger, who is the second winningest NFC coach? Hmm. Since the merger. Okay, that's a good question. The answer is next on ESPN Radio. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Greeny, the podcast. We got a lot of uh, a lot of business to attend to before we're done today. We got singing to get to. We got picks to get to. But first, wow. Okay, and how are your trivia skills? This is Sneaky Himbo Trivia. Regular sneaky or extra sneaky? Himbo. Once again, today's question is: So Tom Landry is the winningest NFC coach since the 1970 merger. My question for you is who ranks second. Which which lets out the Curly Lambos and the George Hallises and the Vince Lombardis mm-hmm. of the world, all of whom did their winning before the 1970 merger. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven names written down wow. here. Wow, sheesh. Um, and obviously can only guess one. Bubba, you have this? I wouldn't, know if I, I wouldn't say I have this, but... You have a guess? I do have a guess. I, got a, I initially thought of a couple names, thought of uh, you know Joe Gibbs... Thought of Bill Walsh, thought of Bud Grant, but I'm, I was joking with Cam, with Mike McCarthy, but I'm actually going to go Mike McCarthy because he's coached for quite a while, all NFC. I'm going Mike McCarthy. Oh, that's good. Wow. I got to tell you, I had a lot of names written down. That wasn't one of them. Cam? <laughs> it was yeah. on your long list on that napkin. <laughs> I'm going with another Packers coach, Mike Holmgren. Okay, I, did ha- I had his name written down. By the that's way, Brandon is guessing um, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. I had his name written down. Okay. So one for McCarthy, one for Holmgren, one for Carroll. So I have the following names written down. Walsh, Ditka, Seifert, Parcells, um, Holmgren, and Carroll. And none of them is going to be my guess. I think the one who coached the longest. I just was trying to think who coached the longest. And I think the one who coached the longest and had really good teams and took them to multiple Super Bowls was Bud Grant in Minnesota. And so I'm guessing that it is his longevity is the reason. So we got one guess for Carroll. We got one guess for McCarthy. And we got two guesses for, wait, no, I, I took Bud Grant. Who did Bubba take again? I took uh, Holmgren. Holmgren. So we got the, the, those uh, yeah, are the I four took guesses. McCarthy, yeah. He took McCarthy. Okay, but, uh, Hembo. The correct answer is Mike McCarthy. Oh, oh yeah! my God! There we go, baby. Let's that is go. Incredible. Unbelievable. Mike. I am so bad at this that I wrote yeah, down eight names and none of them was the right answer. Mike, Mike McCarthy is the winningest NFC coach since the merger besides Landry? Of That's course right. he is. He's got 165 wins. Next is Joe Gibbs. Then Sean Payton, who was not guessed. And then you guys got the next three in Holmgren, Grant, and Carroll. That's incredible. That is incredible. What a great coach. <laughs> So How about good. Parcells? Where's Parcells? Because he coached both the Cowboys and the Giants. Yeah, so Parcells on that too much list AFC, is 12th though. on that list. Shoosh. 
It's a, fun right. it's a fun leaderboard. That's a colossal disappointment for me. All right, we still got picks to do, and then Cam is going to sing a song. Let's get so a standings got... update here, huh? Oh, yeah, standings. <laughs> Bubba's Sorry, standings. Bubba's, hot lately. Bubba's doing well. Uh, I am 16 and 27. Bubba's right behind me, 14 and 29. Greeny's 10 and 33. Brandon's 5 and 15. Mark Cuban and Dominique Foxworth are 0 and 1. Okay, fair enough. Now, let's do our picks here. Hashtag KOD. The Kiss of Death. We want to make sure we don't rush the singing. So our Kiss of Death picks, we have two of them tonight, Monday Night Football. I'm looking at Titans uh, at Dolphins, Miami minus 13 and the hook, which is a big number, Hembo. That line is up to 14 now. I'm not going to play Miami minus the 14. You can even shop around. Maybe by the time this hits live, it'll be up to 14 and a half or 15. It's too many points. If you want to bet the game, bet the Titans plus the two touchdowns and hope for a backdoor cover. Next, we have Packers and Giants. Uh, tonight uh, here at uh, MetLife, Packers minus six on the road against Big Blue. What does that smell? Smells like a smelly line? That's a stinky freaking line. Why? I would think the Giants would be a double-digit home dog in that game against a really good Packers team. I don't like the idea of betting the Giants plus the six with Tommy DeVito as their quarterback, but that number is too small. Three-fourths of the public is on Green Bay. If you want to play it, play the Giants plus, uh, plus the six for no obvious reason. There you have it. So those are our... Kiss of death picks here on the program. All right, one piece of business, and we have saved the best for last. So on this program a couple of weeks ago, we've got Cam and we've got Hembo, who are the crazy Eagle fans, and we've got Bubba, who's the crazy Cowboy fan. Eagles beat the Cowboys in a heartbreaker, and so Bubba got up there. God bless him. He sang the heck out of uh, Fly, Eagles, Fly. With Luciano Pavarotti's picture on his chest. He did really well. For today, Cam is going to sing Rhinestone Cowboy, the Glenn Campbell classic from my youth. Hambo, because he doesn't know the song and we weren't able to, re- to rehearse, is going to sing a different song rehearse. tomorrow. <laughs> well, we weren't able to practice. Word, yeah. We weren't able to be ready for this. So we're going to spread out the punishment over two days. Works for me. Today, Cam is going to sing Rhinestone Cowboy. And then tomorrow... Hembo is going to sing a different cowboy-related <sighs> song. Good? You're good with that? Yes, that's right. I'm good with it. It was a 20-point loss. You feel good about this? <laughs> I feel great about it. All yeah. right. So that let us then set the stage. Here we go. Glenn Campbell, a classic uh, from the 70s. 1975. Rhinestone Cowboy. Cam, take it away. All right. I'm going to play the song so the TV audience will not hear the song. They'll just hear my pipes, and I'll sing with Glenn. Okay. I'm singing the first verse and then the chorus. Here we go. Okay, let's go. I've been walking these streets so long, singing the same old song. I know every crack in these dirty sidewalks of Broadway. You're killing it. You're killing it. Keep it going. And hustle's the name of the game. Yes. Nice guys get washed away like the snow in the rain. It's pretty good. There's been a load of compromising on the road of my horizon. And I'm going to be where the lights are shining on me. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Do it. Riding out on a horse in a star-spangled rodeo. Like a rhinestone cowboy. One minute. <laughs> Getting cards and letters from people I don't even know. 
And offers. And offers coming over the phone. Oh, that was magnificent. Oh, magnificent. Oh, that was so good. That was so much better than I expected. <laughs> Very good. I practiced, he sings like a Jonas Brothers. I practiced too. a yeah. lot last I, night. I'm telling you right now. We could, you could do a cover. We could release this. Very good. Cam Pratt sings Rhinestone Cowboy, a song that was popular 40 years By ago. By the Cam Pratt family singers. It's almost 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. That was 75. really well done. A tour de force. Oh, Hambo, you've got, you've got big shoes to fill oh, tomorrow. Wait till you hear this. Yeah, you got no fighting chance at that whatsoever. All right, fun day. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow with ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.